This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, September 28, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. There are good things in Dodd-Frank, but changes to how firms are treated when it comes to future bailouts rest upon a flawed idea, that our economy needs a lender of last resort. So says Cato's Mark Calabria. We should start with the Federal Reserve's actual so-called 13-3 authorities, which are called such because it's uh, paragraph 3 of Section 13 of the Federal Reserve Act. These were created in 1932, used extensively but generally in a minor way during the Great Depression. And what separates this out from the Fed's usual authorities is it's really meant for non-banks. So the banks can just go to what's called the discount window. So 13-3 is often kind of thought of as a discount window for non-banks. It was not used since the Great Depression up until 2008 assisted purchase uh, of Bear Stearns by J.P. Morgan. So we really went from, say, 1935 to 2008 without this authority being used. Uh, it was a relatively dormant authority. You know, the Fed had talked about it on occasion, you know, certainly interestingly enough, a few years before 2008, I think about 2004, the Fed had published a paper on it. So it was certainly in their thoughts had the situation arose, but it really was a big shocker. And I think it's fair to say one of the many things that really angered the public about the rescues was this sense of, wow, I didn't know the Fed could do that. And it wasn't clear to the public, even to financially very literate people, exactly what the reasons were in real time. It wasn't clear. Exactly. You know, the best case of this is Lehman Brothers where despite this, we all know that the Fed let Lehman Brothers go. But the interesting thing is the rationale for that has just changed on an almost daily basis. Uh, you know, the Fed has said, well, we didn't have the authority to do it, which of course, you know, if they have the authority for bear, it's hard to see the difference. And they'll say they didn't have good collateral. So there's all sorts of um, rationales that differ from day to day. Uh, and as we've seen in other instances, and most recently in the AIG litigation, but certainly other instances, the Fed lent against equity, which is, you know, the definition of not good collateral. So it, there really was a kind of make it up as you go along, very ad hoc. You know, I think we've yet to really get a very honest and clear explanation of why Bear was treated one way and was Lehman treated as another. And of course, I should say, I think we should let them all fail, which would have been, or I'll let them all be um, reorganized through a bankruptcy process without assistance. But what Dodd-Frank tries to do, and this is in uh, section 1101, Dodd-Frank tries to say to the Fed, Listen, you got to do this in an orderly manner. You know, you got to treat similarly situated entities similarly. It can't be, um, you know, like for instance, there was long talk that Lehman didn't get assisted because their CEO was disliked by Hank Paulson. You know, you you get these conspiracy theories of they weren't thought of as good players, uh, and of course, you get bad behavior. We know that Lehman had at least three different offers to be bought after. Bear's failure, but the reaction of Lehman CEO was, I got the Fed to back me up. You know, I'm not. I want a better price, and so it distorts all sorts of behaviors. And of course, in my opinion, we shouldn't have a lender of last resort to begin with. But Dodd Frank goes in the direction of saying, a, if you're gonna lend, it's got to be a solvent institution. So it's got to be solely in a question of illiquidity, which means, of course, that in the long run, you know, your assets are worth what your liabilities are. It's just trying to avoid a fire sale where everybody dumps the same thing onto the market at the same time. And of course, we can question whether we should be subsidizing illiquidity to begin with. But Dodd-Frank really tries to tell the Fed, only solvent institutions. 
And of course, the Fed continually says that's their, you know, that's their standard anyhow. But what Dodd Frank really says is, and you got to you got to define it ahead of time. And there's got to be a process. It can't just be, well, we think they were solvent because again, the Fed has consistently said all of the assistance they provided during the crisis was to solvent institutions. So, you know, it's a sort of, you know, we'll just take our word for it. Kevin Dowd. An adjunct at the Cato Institute with respect to stress testing of banks makes the argument that, well, if you have this entity that is charged with instituting these stress tests and you already have a wide range of assets where firms are rewarded or not rewarded for possessing these assets versus these assets over here, um, that you're essentially providing a blueprint for all of these institutions to behave in similar ways, to take similar risks. So my question is, with respect to Dodd-Frank's attempt to define solvency, to charge penalty rates, to uh, make sure that there is some adequate collateral, not equity, but actual assets, that perhaps you're providing those institutions with a blueprint for actually getting to the definition of solvency, whether or not it actually they are solvent, and and having enough assets that count toward that, but in in a, in a way that that maybe I'm not I don't mean to speak for Kevin Dowd here, but maybe they're going to be similarly aligned with respect to risks. So there's a very real risk. That institutions game the system and game game the rules, and, and of course that's one of the reasons why I and as well as Kevin is are skeptical of lenders of last resorts to begin with. Um, you know, and of course we've seen evidence. You know, Great Depression was a perfect example of where a number of countries like Canada didn't even have a lender of last resort, lacked a central bank, and yet had zero bank failures and performed better even with a similar downturn as the United States. So first of all, in a macro meta question, I don't think we need a lender of last resort. But even with what the nudge that Dodd-Frank provides, it on one hand gives the Fed so much discretion. So the statute doesn't define solvency, doesn't define what a broadly based program is, doesn't define a penalty rate, many of these things. Uh, and of course, some of the reaction to that is we've seen legislation, uh, Senators and Warren Vitter have come together as well as Congressman Garrett and Capuano to introduce bills to tighten up what's in Dodd-Frank. And of course, you know, they are very small steps in the right direction. But to me, still leave the Federal Reserve a tremendous amount of discretion and leave this potential gaming by financial institutions to kind of fit within those boxes and of course, change their own behavior. And, and for listeners that are interested, of course, Senators Vitter and Warren were both here at the Cato Institute talking about uh, their view of that specific authority that lingers on to this day. And, and of course, we had a first panel of that event too that goes into a lot more detail about these topics. But the question of how do you constrain the Fed's authority to do these rescues of non-banks and how do you make sure it's done in a fairer way? Uh, of, of course, the ultimate goal, in my opinion, should be to get rid of their lender of last resort authority, but at least trying to limit it in a way that the Fed second thinks whether they're going to rescue entities rescue non-banks and whether the expectations in the marketplace, because keep in mind, one of the problems here 
is that not only the behavior of management, but the behavior of creditors. So if I lend you money and I think there's a good chance that the Fed might rescue you should you get in trouble, I have a lot less of an, of an incentive to monitor your behavior or a lot less an incentive to put you know, covenants and restrictions and the loans and bonds that I, um, that I issue. And so a concern about this is how does it change dynamics within the financial market? And of course, a bigger concern as well is that much of this allows the Fed or any central bank rather uh, to put off the inevitable. So in my opinion, we've seen this in Japan for decades where because lenders of last resort were able to rescue the system, you had these zombie-style institutions that were insolvent and did tremendous damage to the economy. And so it, again, it allows the inevitable to be um, you know, essentially unwound. So a good example here in the U.S. is that, well, we know that people from 2006 to say 2008, 2009 placed a whole lot less value in mortgage-backed securities than you know, they did in say 2006. And so markets should change. Those prices should adjust. And so to a very large extent, probably the biggest problem with these facilities is that they distort the um, corrections in the marketplace that lead to better pricing. And, and the Fed used many of these facilities in the crisis essentially to support asset prices and make institutions that were in fact insolvent look solvent and keep them out of that adjustment process. So again, we've got some minor steps in the right direction. Uh, but I do think that this is one of the things that financial reform missed and missed in a big way. And we really do need to come back and constrain the Fed's ability uh, to act as a lender of last resorts, in my opinion, not just for non-banks, but to banks as well. But the start with looking at 13.3, which of course I would just repeal, I think constraining that in a way that's been suggested uh, and proposed by a number of members of Congress is the right way to go. Mark Calabria is the Director of Financial Regulation Studies at the Cato Institute. Read more of his work at Cato.org.